Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange. This is our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters who are shaping the electronic music landscape. My name's Ryan Keeling and I'm the editor at Resident Advisor. So it was an enormous privilege to have Rinse FM's founder Genius stop by for this week's exchange. The station has been at the forefront of every major development in London club music for the past 20 odd years, and G himself doesn't tend to give many interviews. Rinse of course started out as a pirate station, and G has a mind-blowing number of stories that show the lengths that him and the station had to go to to remain on the air. These days, Rinse is a fully legit and globally influential operation, but in this 90-minute conversation, G makes it clear that Rinse's identity and spirit is still completely tied up in the community that it came from. You can hear our full archive of exchanges on residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. The exchange with Genius is up next. setting the scene a little bit like Rinse has been going since 1994 obviously like a mind-blowing amount of stuff's kind of happened in that time just kind of looking back um, like the station's been you know next to or leading some of like the really really major um, like music developments in UK club you know UK clubs UK club culture I guess I wanted to ask quite a simple question and just establish like what it is about radio that does it for you you know what drew you to this like format or this like style of expressing yourself over over others thing with radio for me was uh i probably come across pirate radio when i was probably like maybe 10 11 something like that one of my cousins showed me and um i couldn't wrap my head around it it was uh, like I went in one of their bedrooms and they was sh- they was playing some music that was like it was madness. I don't know what it was, and I, I always ask a lot of questions. So I'm like, oh, what is this? What I don't get it. And uh, like I'm, I'm a young kid, and they're like, it's pirate radio. And and then I'm like asking loads of questions. So they're like, yeah, it, it, like it's people that they move it around, and and they, they was explaining to me the whole kind of how the pirate was, where you'd have a studio and you'd move it and you'd switch on on the weekends and then you'd go off air. Something would happen. Some people would find you, and I was just like. You know, like when you're a kid and it's like there's something really interesting and it's like it's like a bit like a 
it's like a little bit on the dark side. Do you know what I mean? I had that kind of feeling towards it. So I was like, yeah, this is like a bit like, uh, do you know what I mean? I suppose the word pirate helps. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. So I was like, I was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. But then uh, I become obsessed uh, around that age of like being interested in this stuff. And I used to get uh, tapes off of my cousins because all of my older cousins would be listening to pirate radio and stuff like that. So I had a radio in my house, in my mum's radio, and I'll just be like uh, always like going through the doll like you know in the day it was like a, you'd have a round knob you just spin it around so I'd just be like trying to find something that sounds like a pirate radio station do you know what I mean so that was kind of like the first point for me in uh, actually discovering pirate radio and, and having an interest in it and yeah I think the biggest thing for me was the uh, the fact that it's like you listen but you don't see it and it was like a really like interesting thing to me because you use your imagination. You start creating what you think it's like there. And I, and I still do it now. So it's like, I had this thing where I'd like, I'd do anything to see more about it or find out more about it. But because you can't, it's like you are much more interested in it. So that, that was kind of like my first starting point for radio. I, I, over the years, I went on and I'm like, a, I had different stages where actually as I grew up a little bit, I started listening to actual stations and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? So that was like, that's like a next chapter where it's like, I'm, I'm, I've then become a proper fan of radio. Do you, Do you remember what you were imagining that the situations were that these broadcasts were coming from? Yeah, I do. I've, I used to always imagine that they're in like a really like a dark room and they're like hiding and, and like someone's going to run through the door and they run off with stuff. And it's like all a bit like, a bit like a dramatic and I used to have this feeling about it and it was like I would be listening at some stages all the way through actually when I listened to pirate radio in school I'd be listening all the time it's like the biggest news you hear is like someone's got taken off air and it would be like I'll be like my imagination just run wild and I'll be like police have been in there something's happened you know what I mean so it's like you just go off on that one and it's like I think the thing with pirate radio, uh, even though it was a lot to do with the music, it was to do with the interest of it and the thing that there's people out there doing something that you're not allowed to do. But what they was doing was really good. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, uh, it just, uh, I was like hooked. Sure. Straight away. So tell us a bit about the like environment that Rinse came into, you know, when it when it comes to the point of like, you know, you and some friends like looking to start a station. Like, you know, how many guys out there were, were doing this thing? Like, what was the competition like? So, know? the stations what I actually grew up listening to was uh, it was Rush FM uh, as a starting, as like I was when just before Jungle come around, it was like Rush FM I'd be uh, paying a lot of attention to, and then Call FM. So on a daily basis, I'd be listening to uh, Call FM tapes and stuff like that. So that was. That was something that uh, was the thing that was on my mind is that I, I want to be a DJ. I would like to get on Cool FM and stuff like that. And then um, I think the next thing was that I couldn't get on Cool FM. I used to ring up the phone line. There was a phone line that they give out. I'll ring it up in the week and just have a chat with whoever's on the end of the line saying, and I'll get on the station. Who are you? Like, I used to phone up, it'd be like, it's Brocky on the end of the phone. Do you know what I mean? And I'll just have a chat or it's like Smurf or Eastman. And I'll just be like, I'll be chewing their ear off in the middle of the day. Do you know what I mean? Trying to get information and that. And sure. it, they, they Did you all... have personal relationships with anyone? No, I didn't know anyone. No, right, I, didn't, okay. I didn't know anyone. I was like on an estate with my friends. Do you know what I mean? My friends, actually, what would happen is one of my friends would get a basher phone 
that you can use to make calls illegally. And I'll be like, ah, oh, let me have a go. And I'll ring up the Call FM line and have a chat with someone because it's like, there's an opportunity there for me to use a phone. Do you know what I mean? So that's what I used to do anyway. But what happened was is that I wanted to be a DJ, but it was all, uh, all the way through school, I knew I wanted to do all of this stuff. I'd have arguments with teachers and say, I'm not doing, I'm not doing history, I'm not doing geography. I'm not doing French. I'm going to go to the back of the room and listen to music because I'm going to do music. And they'll be like, you've lost your mind. You can't do that. It's there. And I'll just be like, I don't care. It's what I'm going to do. Whatever happens, I'm just going to do that. So I went through the stage of, in my mind, thinking I want to be on Cool FM. And then I learned how to DJ. And I thought, great, cool, I'm going to go on Cool FM. Do you know what I mean? And then what happened was is that I quickly realised that getting on Cool FM is not that easy. And... In them days, being in Bow and Hackney and all of these different areas, it's like they're miles apart. It's like being in Laris, like to me, it's like being in London and Manchester and Birmingham. I'm from Bow, but Call FM is Hackney. So I'm like, ah, oh, how am I going to do this? Do you know what I mean? They're all, everyone on Call FM is from Hackney. So there was a station that started around our area called Pressure FM that I just discovered on the dial, and uh, someone called Jamie B, he run it. And one of my friends, I, because I used to do uh, tapes and stuff in my house and people like Trend, who uh, used to be around at them stages, he was like a, he become like a jungle producer and actually Garage as well. So anyway, he used to come to my house for lunch because his school was right next to mine. We used to do uh, mixes and stuff like that. So I'd always be in my house with him doing mixtapes and stuff. And then one of my other friends who was there, he took one of the mixes and got me a show, but he didn't tell me. So one night he come to me and said, cool, we got to go somewhere. So I'm like, where are we going? He's like, bring your records. So I got my records and we went and he took me to Pressure FM. And I was like, so we go in this, we go in this block and it's like, I turn up at this block in the part of Bow where it's just like, it's another part of Bow that, that I'm not actually from. So it's like, I'm at this part of this estate. Like we go in and it's, it's where the free flats is. And we go in this building, I get up to the top floor, we go to the end flat and it's like, there's a black gate and it's like, it looks like no one's in, do you know what I mean? And then he knocks on the door and it's like, like some dude who's massive comes to the door and opens the door and he's like, and I'm just standing there, I don't even know what's going on. So my friend's like, yeah, yeah, I'm with, uh, I'm with G. Uh, and, and he's like, G, all right, cool. And then it's all a bit moody and they open the gate and I go in and I'm like, it's probably like 11, 12 o'clock at night and they're like, yeah, cool, so you're on at like 3 a.m. So I'm like, what, 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 I'm going on. It's like I'm on the radio station at 3 a.m. And this station was like, in our area, it was just getting big. Slim, Slimzy was on there. So I used to listen to him. He was known as Slimfast then. So I'm like, wow. Like, but then I'm like, I'm under pressure now. I've got to go on this radio station. So anyway, three o'clock come and I went on and I DJ'd for, uh, actually I DJ'd till about seven o'clock in the morning because there was no one else coming on. So I was waiting for the next DJ, but I just kept rolling it out. So anyway, that was, that was my first experience of uh, getting on the radio and, and doing pirate radio myself. And you, you were with pressure for a bit? I was with pressure for a while. So the amount of time that things happened in, I can't remember. I just remember I'd done all these different things. It seemed like forever, but it might have only been six months. But I was on there and I got upgraded from the three o'clock show till something like midday on a Sunday. And it was great. And I was on just before Slim. And what happened was is that it's really strict in the old days on Pirate Radio and it's like... Like, you can't you can't adjust volumes and stuff like that. We're in people's uh, kitchens and stuff like that, do you know what I mean? DJing. I'm, de I'm Actually, at pressure, I was DJing with a pit bull laying on my feet because it's his house and the pit bull's just... And I'm just, like, shook. 
there's a pit bull on my feet, but I've got a DJ through it. So dog's laying on my feet for two hours. So anyway, yeah, uh, Slim was on after me. And what happened was one day I'd done my show. I was quite worried about making sure everything's like on point. So I don't like to turn anything up. I like to keep it all where it was. But Slim wasn't like that. And Slim was on after me. So he goes on. He turns up everything on the mixer that you can think of. And it's these old mixers called MRT60. So there's graphic equaliser across the top. He's pushing everything up. So it's like inside the radio, it's like it's got louder. So he's trying to gain volume. But all of a sudden, uh, it's the manager, Jamie B, burst through the door. And he's he's big he's a big guy, so he's freaking out. He's going mad, arms everywhere. The station sounds awful outside. Slim's messed up everything. But I get the blame, so I get the blame. We end up in an argument, and I'm saying. But then because of the way that I am, I start arguing with him. I'm saying I don't even know why I've got this show anyway. I should have the next show. I should have the four o'clock show because that DJ's rubbish. Oh, it's all <laughs> yeah, at yeah. that so, point. Yeah. So but then it's like I, I forget myself, and I'm like, but I'm like a kid, and this dude is like one of the biggest people in our area. He runs the big radio station. He's actually the person that everyone's scared of. And I'm in a full-blown argument with him. Do you know what I mean? And then I'm like, I need to consider what I'm doing here. And Slim's just being quiet. Do you know what I mean? So anyway, it turns out we get kicked off. We get kicked off because we're all too young. So that was that. I've met with Slim. We become friends over being on Pressure FM. I met with Slim and uh, Wiley and, and uh, a few other people. And the plan was to go on another radio station called Chillin' together. And we was all like, we're together, we're a group. We're all like, we, we're going to firm it. We're going we're gonna to do this. Next thing, I turn on the radio. Slim's on Chillin' FM on his own. Left all of us. <laughs> Can't get none of us a show. So anyway, that was that. And then I think about a month later... Someone who used to help us a lot called Beanie. Um, he was like one of the big, the older lot as well. He was, he was like a big guy as well. He come and called me up one day and said, like, how I am, they like it and they want to start a radio station of, of our own. And do I want to be the manager? So I got the phone call and was like, uh, yeah, I'm down. Do you sure. know what I mean? I'm like, I don't, know, I don't know what we're doing. I don't know how we're going to do it. I've got no idea, but let's, let's give it a go. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I wanted to ask, I mean, it all sounds like it sort of like, you know, came out of the blue or whatever, but um, were you guys trying to like differentiate yourself somehow or was it just a case of like, now we've got to get involved, like we've just got to participate in this thing? I think for us is that really we wanted to be on Cool FM. We, we still had it in our mind that how are we going to get on Cool FM? Do you know what I mean? So we went to the stage of starting our own station and... We planned it for a couple of months. There was another uh, DJ called Fury, and his uh, dad was something to do with JTS, the old cutting place. So through some connections like that, they found someone who could build us a transmitter. So we got a transmitter built. It was it was massive. It was bigger than these speakers put together. So we'd done that, and then we had a meeting, and uh, I was like, we was coming up with all these different names. I was like, I like the name Rinse. So we went with the name Rinse. At this stage, Slim wasn't, Slim was just a DJ on the radio. Okay. So it was me and someone called Beanie and uh, Fury that was like, I was like a manager. They was like, they put in. When we're talking, when, when you talk about now, you think they're the investors and all that. It's like, it's just a bunch of kids that just got some money together and bought a transmitter and stuff like that. So anyway, we set the radio station up and yeah, we figured it out. I went on a tower block for the first time and was like, I climbed out on the roof and was like, what is going on up here? I'm like... It's like, it's like a whole nother life. It's like what I had imagined as a kid, it was a whole leap more. It's like mm, there was yeah. this next level of everything to do with radio. 
you know what I mean? It was like, for me, it was like straight away, I was like, this is amazing. We're, I'm on a tower block. Like we've sneaked in a tower block, climbed up on the roof. I'm on standing on top of the tower block now, 27 stories high, looking across the whole of London, figuring out how we're going to switch on a radio station. Do you know what I mean? That must have been pretty exciting to say the least. Yeah. I mean, generally in life, people say I don't really get excited by much, but I think it's because them things there to me was amazing. And that's what I'd spent majority of my younger life figuring out how I could be involved in. And then I'm, I was getting all of that. So like now when people say, oh, do you want to go on London Eye or this is a good thing to go and look at? I'm like, I'm not interested. Do you know what I mean? It just, it just doesn't, I'm just like, it's boring. You know, in terms of like getting it off the ground, were you guys able to like broadcast with any like regularity to to begin with? Did, I mean, did you have your shit together enough to like you know no, make we, it a we, thing? We, what we had was we. So one of my mates, uh, his brother got a flat in a tower block in Bow. He's on like the seventeenth or the eighteenth floor. He got a flat. He just got it, brand new flat. Cancel, give him a flat. Great stuff. Can we put the radio in your flat? Yeah, cool. So we put the radio in his flat. We switched on. And we've put the transmitter in the room with us. We don't even know that you're not meant to have the transmitter with you. It's meant to be in another location and you're meant to send a signal to it. But we don't know this information. Sure, so yeah, yeah. we're on the 17th floor. We're running the aerial straight out the window. So we've got the aerial out the window and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm ringing up my mates. My mate's in uh, towards more like Victoria Park and that. I'm like, are you listening? Are you listening? And it's like, yeah, yeah, it's amazing. I phoned someone who's downstairs around the other side of the building. They can't hear nothing. Because it's like... Because you were just going, we're going out in that yeah, direction. Yeah, we're yeah, going yeah, in one yeah. direction. So we're like, we spend the... Actually, what happened was we, we, we tried to do the whole weekend like that. And then we put the aerial up and out. Slim done it. He put it on the person above's TV aerial. Over the weekend, some old man come down. He kicked the door off. He actually punched the door or pushed the door so hard that he come running in. Some, like, 70-year-old man saying, you're fucking up my rugby. He's going into one. And it's like... The radio's coming through his telly somehow. It's like, it's like we've put the aerial, or Slim's put the aerial on his aerial, and it's like, it's all just, I'm just like, ah, next weekend, because this is like a weekend at a time. For yeah, me. sure. We plan a weekend and we go on the roof, and it's like, then it becomes like, right, it's my job to do the roof stuff, because I'm like a small person, and that. It's like, I'll go on the roof. So we, we go through that stage. The following week, it's like, I go on the roof. I'm up on the roof on my own. I've got the aerial, I've got the transmitter, I've got everything. And I'm, but I'm up there on my own. It's the first time I'm on the tower block on my own. I'm about to set up and then I hear someone coming on the roof. I'm like, oh my God, someone's coming on the roof. I'm going to get nicked. So I throw everything over the, over the edge. <laughs> Turns out it's a pizza man delivering a pizza to someone's <laughs> just, back. So it's gone too far. Yeah. Slim and I are all looking out the window. All the equipment's flying past them. I'm just like, it's like, uh, I'm downstairs picking all the bits back up, trying to fix it all. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So it took us a minute, but we got there. Sure. Do you know what I mean? But like, once you get into your rhythm, um, what does the game look like between like you and the authorities? Is it like a case of moving around like constantly? Or we had it, we had it really difficult in the beginning because we was the young station, so we're like sixteen years old. We got a radio station. We're getting bullied all over the place. We're putting transmitters in. We've got all the bigger stations taking our stuff. Call FM switching us off. It's our own fault. What we was doing, we was coming out in a bad way. We was transmitting over their frequencies, but we didn't care. Sure, you're just we're just like, like so rogues, what? Yeah. yeah, we're coming out on their frequency, double promotion. We just think that. <laughs> you know what I mean, it, it was called sprogging. It's like if you sprog, then you're coming out on two frequencies or multiple frequencies. We thought as a result. But it's not, it's, it's actually bad. But no one's, we, because we're the young ones, there's no one teaching us. Pressure FM, the people that we started with, they don't talk to us. We are now becoming like competition. They don't like us. Sure. So everyone 
all the pirate radios used to take all of our stuff. So we started getting into the thing of we're not having it. So we started putting our stuff in places no one could get to because I was like the smallest person in the whole thing and because I was so young. It would be like, right, cool. I'm going to climb down this air vent and climb down the, the lift shaft and I'm going to go along these tunnels that go over the top of the building and go around these corners that no one in their right mind could get to. So I'd be like, tie the transmitter to my back and get a torch on my head and I'll go in a hole. <laughs> and I'll be like, around the other side of the building in this hole that you can't turn around in. It's like a movie and I'm just like, I'm going over gaps that drop straight down the building and I'm crawling over them to get to the next one and then the next one and then I'm putting the transmitter down the hole and putting a scissor jack in there. Yeah, yeah, so I we see. start doing that. Then we get into booby trapping stuff. Like we're taking out all the light bulbs and we're removing the floor in some places. So it's like people going to take our stuff now, falling down holes and uh, all kinds of madness we was coming up with to do. Do you know what I mean? Gee, I mean, did you ever get to a point where you found yourself in a situation and it was just like, okay, like this is too much? Like, <laughs> Yeah, we've had it a few times. I mean, we've, we've been on the roof and uh, back in the day it would be like a... The, like the yardie stations, one of them would uh, come and we was on the roof and they was trying to get on the roof and, and and they were trying to bully us and stuff like that. And it's like we're we're on the roof hiding from people and it's like quite serious. It's not like a it's not a joke. It's it's quite it's quite an intense thing when there's another station that is older than you from another area coming in and you're like, you've got to deal with this. I mean, we've had it where I've been in. We put the studio in Hackney once and. We was there one night doing the radio, me and Slim and uh, a couple of other uh, artists, DJs. And I'm looking out the window and I could see some stuff going on. This is in Nesbit House in Hackney. And I'm like, mm, this looks dodgy. So I'm ringing up Plague and that saying, I think something's going on. I'm not really sure what's going on here. It's a bit moody. And he's like, I'm coming in now. At the same time, I look out the window, the people have disappeared. Someone's knocking on the door saying, it's the neighbour, can you open up the door, please? So I'm like... This is dodgy. I'm always like, what's the worst that's going to happen is the thing that I think is going to happen in every situation. I'm always looking for that thing. So I'm like, something bad's going to happen now. So Slim's like, nah, it's all right, it's all right. So I can hear the keys and knock on the door. So I think, fuck this, bruv. I'm out of here. But there's nowhere to go. We're three floors up. So we've got this flat. It's a squat. The radio's in one room. I'm like, I'm going down to one of the other rooms. I'm going to go in a room and hide. I'm bailed out. Next thing, there's two front doors. It's like you've got a front door, then a little porch and a front door. One of the first front doors, boom, front doors come off. I'm like, fucking, I knew it. So I'm, I'm ringing Plague back. Plague, 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 where are you? Where are you? So they kick the door. Next thing, second door has come off. Slim's come running into the room with me. He's come running into, into the room where I am. He's run past me. I'm standing in the middle of the room. Some dude with the biggest, like, he's got this, like, big afro, big beard, sweating, dribbling. It's just like, it's like a horror movie. And the do for some reason, I'm in the pitch black. It's all dark in there, so I don't even know why. The geezer's pulled out this thing. It's like a sword. He's put it in my throat. It's like, I've got this big, it's like a, it's like a 12 inch blade in my neck. And I'm just standing there with this geezer holding me with a knife in my throat saying, where's the money, where's the money, where's the money, where's the money? And, and he's saying to Slim, get the money out your sock, get the money out your sock. Cause Slim always used to put money in his sock and I'm like, so Slim's saying, yeah, the money's over there, the money's over there. And Slim's trying to get to the front door. But I'm like, but I've got, the, I've got the knife in my throat. Slim's trying to get out of the front door. I'm like, well, what about me? Do you know what I mean? So anyway, the DJ's in that hiding in the other room. We've gone to the other room. The geezer's holding me. I'm hostage. I've got the knife in my throat. 
Slim's trying to get out the front door and telling him his money's over there, but he's pointing at the front door. It's like, mate, we, we, do you know what I mean? He's trying to get out. We're knocking on the door, the DJs, open the door. The geezer's going mental. Open the door, I'm going to stab him in his throat. I've got the knife all pushed up in my throat. This geezer's clearly on something. I'm like, well, I'm definitely going to die today. Do you know what I mean? Anyway, the DJs open the door. <laughs> Slow motion. Door opens, pitch black in there. They're hiding behind the door. <laughs> I'm like... Great. He goes in there, he's freaking out, gets everyone out. He's like, right, cool. Get all the equipment. I want everything taken downstairs. So I'm standing outside the door with a knife in my throat. Slim comes walking out with a little uh, pocket radio thing. Here you go, mate. Tries to part. Don't want to give him our stuff. Tries to give him any little... He smashes it out of Slim's hand, goes ballistic at me. Like, like I'm like, I'm, I'm, now I'm, I'm done, like, shaking. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, do you know what I mean? I'm like trying to think, how am I going to figure out my way out of this? Slim goes back in the room and uh, the geezer sends me in. So I've gone in the room. I've gone in the room where three floors up. Slim's hanging out the window. He's going, he's going out at first. I'm pulling him back in like, Where you? he's going to dive. I'm like, we're three floors up. You can't jump. He don't care. He's not listening. His, his brain's gone somewhere else. So anyway, I pull him back in. I'm like, Let, let's just give him the stuff. Let's get him out of here. Next thing I grab, the thing is, is that Slim always used to do it, is that when I wire everything up, I'm like trying to do it all neat. When Slim does it, he doesn't give a shit. Everything's bodged up. I grab the plug to unplug the decks. The fucking, there's no back on the plug. It's just a fuse. And I'm there electrocuting myself to shit. <laughs> it's all fucked. I'm like, so we go through this whole process and carry the stuff down the stairs, they take the stuff, give them everything. All of our decks, mixer, records, everything. I'm like, we've been robbed. Actually, what happened was is that while we're in the room and we're pulling out the last thing, Plague turns up. He comes in the room. What's going on in here? I think, yes, Plague's here because out of all of us lot, he's like the one that when there's a problem, he handles it. Yeah. He's come in the room, he's done all that. Him and the dude's gone outside the room to have a chat. I can hear all tussling around like there's a fight going on. But we're all in the room. I'm in the room like, who's going out here then? <laughs> <laughs> Next thing, the geezer comes back in without Plague. We're all like, Plague's definitely been stabbed, didn't he? You know what I mean? We're all going to die. It's all fucked. So anyway, it turns out he tried to uh, stab Plague. Plague run off. And, uh, yeah, so... We took all the stuff out. We got robbed. And uh, I, while the geezer was downstairs, I banged on the next door neighbor's house. And it was a woman. She actually let me and Slim in. So we went in her house and she had a gate and she locked us behind the gate. And so we was in there. It was like mad. So we just, we got robbed. And uh, that's like quite an intense situation when you're like 16 years old uh, in, in that kind of environment. So I wanted to ask you a question about the idea of like things like radio and music keeping young people in this part of London out of trouble. But <laughs> I, I don't know how appropriate that, that yeah, would be. I mean, the thing is, I always, I've always had it where everyone's like, oh, you know, like police. And it's like, even when we got the license and, and, and Sarah, who done all of the work to get the license, she was like, let's go and talk to uh, the authorities Ofcom. And we used to call them DTI. I was like, nah, they're never going to listen. Like, everything you hear is like, pirate radio's bad, the pirate radio, everyone sells drugs, we're all dealing in loads of dodgy stuff, like, do you know what I mean? And it's just like, it just wasn't true. It's like, yeah, we had that bad experience, but we wasn't doing anything sure. wrong. But it's like, okay, yeah, by default, there's like, um, you know, an element of criminality, like, okay, you're doing something, but like, presumably the amount of people for whom if they didn't have something like radio or like music or like DJing to focus on, like, they end up you know, getting on bad tracks. It's like, um, it's like a classic situation. Yeah, I come from a place where it's like, I'm probably the only one that didn't end up in jail. Sure. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I don't, it's like I come from an estate. 
in the manner life is hard. Like it's not it's it's not like um we're having a great life. We're having a terrible life. Do you know what I mean? And for me, uh, doing the radio and doing the music is the only thing what I think has managed to keep me out of it. Do you know what I mean? And and, and even when I was in it, it's like it's the thing that is I, I've got some focus. So for me, as much as people say pirate radio is bad or the government, however they portrayed it back in the day, it's like, well, actually, it gave me a career and it gave a lot of other people around us careers. Some of the original, like Slim still got a career, Wiley still got a career, and we're the three people that was on the station on day one. We got careers, do you know what I mean? And a lot of other people, I could go through like hundreds of names that have done all right from uh, being on pirate radio, do you know what I mean? Sure. So for me, it's, it was an important thing and it was a good thing and there was some bad stuff. I can't sit here and say it was all happy. We just got robbed with a knife. There's, I've got multiple stories of this kind of stuff, but... Like, we had it from both sides. We had it from... Because we're illegal, we're in criminal land. So then we've got the authorities against us and we've got the criminals against us. Do you know what I mean? So we, we're living that uh, life where we're just trying to get along and do music. But we have to go through hurdles and battle with people to get what we want. Do you yeah, know what I mean? no, so, for sure. I wanted to, like, draw a focus sort of onto the, like, you know, mid-90s period. You, you guys obviously came up and... Would you say you were, like almost majority playing jungle to begin with would that be accurate yeah we played all of jungle at the beginning and we probably had there was like me slim wiley when i talk about wiley he was a dj then he wasn't yeah. an mc it come later him being an mc so it was me wiley slim target a few other people and uh trend and, and yeah a few other people and we was playing jungle and there was probably something like six or seven DJs on the station. When we hit our peak in that jungle thing, when we become like we are, like what we're seen as now would be like someone who brings new talent and stuff through. It's like we'd done that back then True. and we had probably 30 to 40 MCs on the station. And it was all about us DJs rotating around and bringing out all these different MCs. And that's what we was originally known for and that's what we originally done. It was like that was uh, the reason for our platform. So... It was jungle around in the 90s and then we started introducing garage gradually yeah i was really interested in that period actually i mean do you have like strong memories of um you know obviously you've got this situation where you've got like a dominant sound and a dominant like speed and like rhythm pattern what have you but like do you have any strong memories of like when the garage stuff like started coming through and when it like started shifting and people were like more interested in that and focused on yeah, that yeah yeah, i remember it so we was doing Jungle and I can't remember the exact years and stuff like that, but it, it was around in the 90s, but we was doing the Jungle thing and there was like clubs around the area, like Powerhouse in Stratford, where big garage things was going on and stuff like that. And anyway, one of the DJs, he was called Sharky then, uh, changed his name to A+. He, become, he wanted to play garage. He was the person that was like, while me and Slim and all of these lot... We didn't go raving. We went to the radio. If we want to hear music and we're like, we want to go out for the night, actually, we'd go to the radio. Yeah, we we see radio as like our rave. We'd have loads of us up the radio. That's uh, We didn't go raves, but A Plus or Sharky, he did. And he see the transformation of when Garage started coming in. So he wanted to play it on the radio. So we just let him because he was part of us. So he, he started playing uh, the Garage first. And then... Slim had a little go. I think the first tune that we noticed, though, was like, well, I definitely remember clear was like Cape Fear, which was like, it's like a really tough tune, where up until then, everything was a little bit soft, where we heard that and was like, wow, 
look at this. And then it's like the MCs can go on this. So it was it was all yeah. based around MCs, really. Do you know what I mean? And I then, suppose with that particular track, there's that kind of like bass sound, isn't there? There's yeah, sort of like yeah, one yeah. that you can yeah, like... Exactly. So Slim started playing Garage as well on the radio. And then that's the kind of beginning of how it started. After then, there's a few different journeys that we went through. But the main thing is, is that when the Garage thing come along... Because of how we are, we was excited by a new thing. I was actually the last person to get involved in it because I loved Jungle so much. And Target and Trend and Wiley and all these people had started doing a bit of it and uh, A+. Plus. And I think what we done was we listened to it, we started doing it, we started getting involved in it, but we was bringing what we had learned from Jungle into the garage. Yeah, I see. But we got it completely wrong. And because we got it completely wrong, we ended up with Graham. Because we thought we was making Garage, but we was getting Garage beats like that track and putting MCs on them and they were spitting their heart out. So we just kept doing that and then we wanted to make the music ourselves. So we started making music. So it was like a, just to sort of um, characterise it like broadly, it was like a darker like take on it. Yeah, Slim. when Slim started doing his show, he would play Garage. He'd have all the big Garage tunes, but then he would play something like Mampy Swift Jaws but play it on the wrong tempo on the 33 instead of the 45. Right, I see. So, but then the MCs would spit on it. So it's like we'd be doing things like that in amongst the garage sound. So it was quite a big thing at the time. As, uh, and, and then we formed the pay-as-you-go thing later on uh, at the end of the 90s. And that became massive on the radio. It's like it started taking over a lot of things. And I think around them times, the garage industry was a bit like we've just come in and railroaded it into something completely different. We're there bubbling along, having a nice time in a party, looking nice. We've come in with tracksuits on, being like spitting lyrics everywhere, MCs everywhere. Me and Slim and we have just DJing for the MCs really. Do you know what I mean? So that's kind of like in a very short way of what happened in that period. What was it like for you guys when suddenly it felt like the whole of the UK's attention has turned to this like sound that you've seen like bubbling up for you know like a number of years like what was the on the ground impact for for people like you and rinse at that for the, time for the garage scene yeah 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 it was good i mean we we was getting involved in it there was bigger stations than us in garage the big stations was magic fm deja vu freak fm london underground they was massive we were still trying to roll out some jungle the only person left playing jungle properly was cool fm there was rude fm and a few others but the garage scene had kicked off. It's proper. It's across the whole FM dial. So for us, it was like watching it. It was a big thing. And I used to do work and help some of the garage stations. Like Deja Vu, I used to help them set up, go and put their transmitters in and stuff like that with them and things like that. So it was a big deal, the garage, the garage scene. Def definitely on a pirate vibe. And we got into it a bit late, like I say. It's like we, we had it on the station, but it wasn't our main focus. We just had it. And gradually... It took over. And then when I got involved in the end, because I was the last one slimming them, had started doing it. Wiley had got into it as well, started making tracks like Nicole's Groove. At that time, I got involved. And then we kind of, because we had someone else involved in us on the station and someone called Rips, he was like, a, we've always had, I've always had people around that helped me do stuff. And Rips was one of them people. And he cared deeply about drum and bass and jungle still. So what we done was, we set him up with his own station and we made Rinse completely garage. So it's like a complete switch, but we give him a platform to start. So that was kind of it. And then we was off on our garage one, but 
we just found all the young kids in the area that could do garage the same way we done it in the beginning we just go and find we just find everyone who's got a tape everyone who's knows someone that's a dj we fill up the station with garage like that and then we progress again to like put this in context like you know the stuff you guys are doing with with pay as you go like this is stuff that's on the radar of like you know mainstream audiences across the uk like yeah i mean how did that sit with you like was it was it nuts was it, it, it like was a, a t to be honest with you it was it was mad it was like a very big learning curve for me in life and i went through a lot of different things working with my friends because that become really difficult these people that I've grown up with and we've just done everything naturally now we are in a business where there's money and it changes things and everyone sees a bit of money and then we all would like more money because we've got no money do you know what I mean so kind of change everything in that way and then our views all of us change as well so what we think we're doing and what we come from we all change and we all adapt and then yeah you go through the process you come out the other side and you're like what did we just do sure do you know what i mean so that was a it was it was quite a big deal for us to go through all of that no definitely i mean we're i guess we're talking about a situation where this would be true for like loads and loads of people you yeah, know yeah yeah you got people coming from like you know, states that you're talking about, like low-income backgrounds, and yeah. then all of a sudden there's all this, like, major label money, like, you know, swimming about, people are, like, signing record deals and stuff. It's a crazy time, and then, you know... It's a, it's a dangerous game. It's a bit like you could sell your soul. Like, it's the thing that you grow up being passionate about, your creativity. Young people have amazing creativity that is... It's not contaminated, it's pure. And as soon as someone sees that there can be some money in it, it gets diluted, it gets changed, you get uh, manipulated, you get encouraged to do things that you don't want to do and then you go down that road and sometimes it works. Some people get massive egos and they go off and they just lost in their ego and some people go down the path of it doesn't work out and then they're there with nothing and everyone's gone and they're like, I've just done everything that they wanted to do and everyone's gone and you're sitting there with nothing. Do you know what I mean? So it's a very big thing to go through for anyone. So, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why I still do everything and like doing the management stuff and all of that. It's like, I want to make sure that people don't have to go through this. I would sit down and talk to any artist that is about to start and say, you got to consider all of these things. It will affect you for the rest of your life. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it can't be taken lightly, but the people in the industry at the top level, they're churning things in and out so quick that then no one cares. For sure. Do you know what I mean? So it's like a dangerous game to be a young person. No, definitely. I mean, we've got a situation where it's like, it's for some of these like young people, it's like their life's work. Like this yeah. is the only thing they know. This is the only culture they've ever been involved with. But yeah. then you've got these people like in a major label situation who are obviously not like sensitive to the different like nuances of, of the thing. I think the, the problem for me is what happens is, is that you find something that's pure, it's really good and really interesting. All you really have to do is just help that pure thing along. You don't have to come in and change it. Where our experience of it was, we done the pay-as-you-go thing, we got a record deal, we got 100 grand for one track. I was like, we got 100 grand, it's amazing. I, I'm like, I, I went home to my mum with 20 grand. She's like, buy me a car. Like, do you know what I mean? I bought her a car. It's like, I'm like, I'm down HMV the next day, at 11 o'clock at night, I bought two grand's worth of DVDs. <laughs> I'm like, major race, he's bought, he's bought every Averix jacket you can think of. He's not got a wardrobe. We're in Ironapper, he's got an Averix on on the beach. <laughs> I'm just like, we've never seen money. 
20 grand, I ain't never seen a grand before. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I've just got 20 grand. So you go through this process and then it's all great. We've built this thing anyway and everyone in, in the crew is like talented. It's like, uh, so we've got this structure together. We've got like me, Slimzy, Wiley, Plague, God's Gift, all of these lot. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, we're doing all of this. We have a great time. We get a record deal. We, have a, we get a manager who advises us to stick to the right path. Do you know what I mean? But, but we're all like getting encouraged now by all different things going on. So... We do the record deal, we get we get the money, we make the record. I probably spent, with Target, because me and Target made the first record uh, that went commercial, because we had records before that that was underground, like Noe and all of these things. So we made this record that's for the chart. What happens is, is that I spend about three months making the record. We make the record in one day. We make records in an hour. Mm. But now we've made the record and it's like we have to keep going back in the studio, re-vocaling it and redoing stuff to it. And I'm like, by the time we get to the end, I'm like, I don't even, I don't even know what this is. I don't know what this record's all about. I've been in with all these different people that are engineers, all these different A&R people. I'm like, and at that age, you don't really understand anything. There's a dude coming in and with a suit on and a, and a nice watch and they're telling you, change this, do that. And you're just like, yeah, all right. And you go along with it. And our personalities are not even like that. So I'm like, we have strong personalities. So people that are just like, not even that, they would be like completely you just end up doing what you don't want do you know what I mean sure. but we went through that and done that we done what we don't want and then we had the record deal I come out the other side spent all the dough luckily in amongst all the money what I got I bought a recording studio I went to I went and bought loads of studio equipment so I'm like cool I've got that built a shed in my mum's garden put a studio there everyone else done all their dough we get to the end and they're like yeah the track went to like number 13 in the chart and they're like it's a complete bomb I'm like, we just got a number 13 in the chart. What are you chatting about? Yeah. Complete bomb. They don't want to do business anymore. So we get dropped. Garage scene then goes into the thing of crashing. And I'm just sitting there like, I've just spent like over a year on this project of my life every day, arguing with my friends over money, arguing over what the direction is we should go in, who we should go with, who our manager should be, what do we think of this and that, going to TV shows with people styling us and I'm standing there in some clothes thinking, what the fuck am I wearing? Do you know what I mean? It's like going through all of that to then be like, oh yeah, it's not working out, but thanks anyway, see you later. I'm just like, what the fuck? So it's like a quite a harsh experience for someone. I sat down for a little while after and considered, Fucking hell, that was mad, weren't it? But luckily for me, I still had the radio. We still had rinse. We were still doing all the other things like that. So I'm like, and I'd bought a studio. So I was like, cool, we're just going to crack back on, do our own thing. Do you know what I mean? So we re rebuilt something. And out of that, we built the grime scene. Like with people like me and Wiley and Target and Slim. Do you know what I mean? So that was our kind of, for us, thankfully, we still had a whole underground platform that we had built. Do you feel as though the formation of Grime was almost like um, a direct reaction to like what had happened in Garage? You know, it had gone a certain way and you just like, fuck, you know. I'm just thinking about like creativity and, you know, like what's fueling that kind of... Uh, the thing is, for me and, uh, and the others, we was trying to make Garage. We thought we was actually making Garage. Sure. I was coming out of a tune and being like, it's Garage tune I made. And it's like, Garage lot would be like, that's not fucking Garage. Do you know what I mean? Wiley was the one who was like we're going to put the MCs on the songs. And I was like, MCs on songs? That's a bit mad, isn't it? No one does that. Like, and I'm like, they went studio and then it, they come back with Noe. And I'm like, what is this music? It's like, 
we've gradually gone down this road of developing something and then it's just like wow this is like taking it to a next level and it's like major ace is spitting his lyrics on it or he's like kick you in the chin or some shit and i'm just like do you know what i mean it's like the, the bars are now getting aggy it's not everything's not like hey we're bubbling in the party it's now like now we're getting aggressive on the music, do you know what I mean? So it, I think that's when it becomes like a, that's when it's, for me, No We is the first grime track. Like it's like unquestionable for me of the day that it happened and it got brung, we was at the record shop and Wiley brung the record with the others. They just come from the studio, it was all there. They played it loud. There's about 30 people just hanging around the shop and everyone was like, wow, what is this? Do you know what I mean? And it was like, it was 16 bars, a chorus, 16 bars, a chorus, the, the, the chorus being no we, with God's gift. And I'm like, sick. We just went off on one. Every tune was formatted like that after that. Yeah, yeah, Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's like, we just went on that. And it was like, that's Graham. Like, Wiley set the whole thing up in the format and we just all went and done it. And that was the template. That was the template. And every tune that come after that was exactly like that. And we just made them over and it's still, it's still going now. Same format. How quickly did it take over rinse? Rapidly. It was a, it was a thing of, we was making all of the music and we was distributing the music across all of our DJs. Being honest, at some stages, when we got into selling records, because me and Wiley, me and Wiley have always had this thing, like we're really good friends, but when we were younger, we'd have a lot of competition. So if he made a lot of records, I'll be screwing and I want to make a lot of records. So we'd have this thing, but we'd drive around together and sell the records together. But I'm like, it'd become a competition of who's got the most records. But then we'd be doing things of like, I'll be putting a record in the radio and saying every DJ has to play this record. <laughs> It'd be like, play the record, play the record, play the record. But the way that we set it up was Slim was the biggest DJ. So we set it up to be Slim as the biggest DJ and our thing because we could make records and he couldn't. So we're like, when the bookings was coming in, we was like, pass them all to Slim. He'll be the big, let's make him the big DJ we will go and make all of the records. So it's like me and Wiley and Target and all of them making records and giving them to Slim. So Slim would have dub plates after dub plates after dub plates of exclusive records and different versions and all of that. And you go to Rhythm Division and all you do is there'll be queues of kids queuing up with their tapes and playing the tapes. Have you got this tune? And every tape was a Slimzy show. Do you know what I mean? And it was just like one of my tunes or one of Wiley's tunes nearly every time. Do you know what I mean? You go in a shop and the way Wiley done it was he had his own name across everything. The way I'd done it was, I had about four or five different names. So you'd go in there and it'd be like four shelves of Wiley and four shelves of me under four different names. Do you know what I mean? So, and it was like, you go in the record shop and basically it's like the whole grime scene is just us two on the wall. At the beginning, there was like Jammer and, and people like this at the beginning that was like doing stuff as well. Do you know what I mean? So it, it, it's kind of like, yeah, that, that was kind of the beginning of that for us. And then it was just a complete our radio station just become more and more popular. And then before I knew it, we had like a, the biggest radio station again. So we've gone through like, the way it's always happened with us is we have waves. We're like really small, then we get big, then we go down, then we get bigger next time, then we go down. Cause there's always competition. So I'm like, the one thing what I've learned is that you can never be at the top all the time. Like you have to let someone else be at the top for you to then become better again, sure. do you know what I mean? So at this stage we become the top, but we become bigger than everything had ever been top in the pirate world, do you know what I mean? It was like, we had a waiting list of like 200 people waiting to get on the radio from all different stations and stuff, do you know what I mean? Because it's just like a very straightforward situation, like this is the grime. This was the, the grime, grime station, yeah. it's like, and, and around them times we wasn't even calling it grime, it was annoying for us 
at first because we were saying garage and then it went to eight bar and then it went to grime. It was like a journalist decision, not a industry uh, yeah. amongst us. We wasn't like, let's call it grime. It was like, grime, what's grime? Do you know what I mean? So and in the end, we went with it. It's fine. Do you know what I mean? And it is what it is now. But yeah, it was like we had the big platform. We created the brand. We created the music. It wasn't we heard something, we made it and we played it on our own platform. And then our whole area was like I was saying with when it's different areas like Hackney and all that. It's like the whole of Bow was behind it. The whole of like that side of East London, like Isle of Dogs, Bow, Bethnal Green, like all around that area of like where we're all from collectively, everyone had talent and everyone was coming through. We're just bringing people through. It's like Tinchy Strider, Rough Squad, Dizzy Rascal, Wiley. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like it was just forever there was someone coming through that was good. And we just like put them on the radio, get them on. And it was Wiley that would bring the MCs. Wiley would be like dizzy. And I'll be like, this is a little kid from our estates. We see him running around. Next yeah, thing, sure. Wiley's like, we got to get him on the radio. So he'd bring him up and he'd put him on the radio. Do you know what I mean? And then that was it. We were just like across. I think we become, because everyone had, Delight FM was the big one in South. I think it was Freezing West. But then we become bigger than all of them. Do you know what I mean? And even when it was like so solid was massive, when we went to meet him, there's like, we've got tapes of all of you guys. Do you know what I mean? It's like sick. Do you know what I mean? We get to a sort of situation where um, like MCs become the dominant force in this like grime sound, but they're like this, as far as I understand it, eventually leads to some like logistical issues for the station in that you've got these like crazy situations where you've got, you know, 20 guys or whatever, you know, trying to get on the radio and... Yeah, it leads to you going off the air eventually. I just wondered if you could like explain think, this situation. Yeah, I mean, it, the thing with the MCs is that, for instance, we always had MCs. Our whole thing was built on MCs. So uh, it, it was the kind of format that we believed in from the beginning. But what happened was, as we got bigger, everyone wanted to come on rinse. And there's a couple of different uh, parts of it that are interesting. And I think from the radio point of view, though, what happened was is that we got into the thing of MCs clashing each other and Wiley was the person who started it with the clashing stuff and it became exciting and it was like a good thing to listen to but from our point of view or from me and Slim and the people running the radio station, it was a dangerous thing because people was just turning up at the radio and groups of people turning up and they was clashing on air and then it was arguments and it was just... And we started getting more strict on rules about how many people could be in the studio because, I mean, when this happened, we was in someone's flat in a tower block that we wasn't meant to be in. I actually, I actually paid, it was like a, an old dude who was a, an alcoholic. I, I paid him for his flat, I took it off him and I paid for him to go back to Ireland because he wanted to see his mum. So I paid for the whole thing. So we bought his flat off him basically, but we're not meant to be in there. And I've built a radio studio inside the front room and I've got MCs coming up there all over the place doing it. So we set the rule and it was, only a couple of people at a time and no strangers and no guests and all of that. And it just kept getting out of hand. And it was always me that would be running up the radio and getting into like arguments or nearly ending up in fights with everyone because I'll just be like, you're jeopardizing it for everyone. I know everyone's excited. I know everyone wants to say their piece and I know we've got the platform and I, and I understand, but we're jeopardizing the whole thing. And it's like me and Slim that have to go through the process of like, if something happens, we've got to find a new studio, which is hard. Finding people that are going to sell us their flats is not easy. 
Do you know what I mean? Uh, Losing the equipment is difficult. We're not uh, made of money to be just keep buying everything over and over and over again. So it was a difficult thing. And then I think, I can't remember exactly, but at some stage it just went too far. And I was like, all MCs are banned. So me and Wiley fell out over it and I banned every MC from the radio because of how it was getting. And it's not that... I was against the music because I love the music and I love everything about it. But it was just like, we're going to have a bad problem. And we banned everyone and everyone went to Deja. And they went on air for a few months. And then there was the Dizzy and Titch stuff that happened on the roof. And there was like a massive drama there. And um, it was exactly what I was talking about. Do you know what I mean? And I'm like, it's just too dangerous to have some near something that is illegal. We're not allowed to do this. Sure, yeah. So I, I mean, suppose people yeah. end up forgetting that. Yeah, yeah. And and with the people that's close to me, like like the MCs that we grew up with and even the people from around the area, they was respectful. But we're talking about we're the biggest station in London now. There was people turning up from everywhere to get on rinse, just turning up at the door. So we're like, we're in a dangerous situation now. And I can't have 30 people just turning up in a flat that we're meant to be doing something on the sly undercover 30 people at the door like arguing with each other and spitting lyrics at each other outside and the inside so I was just like all MCs off the radio we banned it completely for a few months everyone went to Deja they went through a whole heap of drama we settled it down uh, we just had our own DJs on the radio this was the stage where it's like rinse drop down in profile which is what I wanted to happen, and everyone runs somewhere else. So I'm like, while it's like this, let someone else have it. Like, we just don't need it. We're not going to be able to maintain through it if we do this. So we've done that. I let it go on for about six months or something, and then I phoned up one of the MCs, and I said, do you want to come back on the radio? And it was like, yeah, cool. And within, like, a few weeks, everyone was back on rinse and gone from everywhere else. Do you know what I mean? So we kind of went back to it. It was more like a, at some stages, I mean, I've had the stage where I've sacked Wiley off the radio and he's like one of my closest friends and he is the biggest person in the whole entire thing. But no one's listening to what we're saying. So I'm like, and he's not listening either because he's trying to build something. And it's like, we're on slightly different paths of what we're trying to do. So I'm like, ain't going to work. If you're going to do this, you can't be on the radio. So then he left and he took actually a, a, lot, a lot of people with him. He uh, took... At the beginning, it was the beginning stages of Roll Deep. And he took all of them and banned them all from coming on the radio. It's more like if you, you not, no one's allowed on rinse, you have to go on other stations. So it was quite a difficult thing because we're all still friends, even the people in the cruise. And it's like, what do they do now? They're, they're, they're torn between me and Wiley. Do you know what I mean? So I was just like, everyone just go and do your thing. It'd be fine. Do you know what I mean? Wiley's my friend. We're in a disagreement right now, but I'm sure it'd be cool. Do you know what I mean? So he went off and done his thing, and I just kept the station simple for a minute. Sure. Do you know what I mean? So how do you get to this situation where you wind up going off air for a couple months? There's been a couple times where we've had to go through that, so it just depends what one you're on about. If it's around that time yeah, in I'm the grind days... Like when you come back with um, a different sound. The dubstep stuff we come back with. We didn't go off air in the grime thing so much we had the uh, time where when we was the biggest pirate still and we was playing dubstep in that as well right that Ofcom D2R they done surveillance on us and we was having a great time now we're like we're the biggest ones we're making money from the radio as well do you know what I mean it's like being truthful about it I was taking a few grand a week in uh, advertising money and subs 
It's like for us then, it's like a few grand a week in cash was great. Do you know what I mean? So, but we was doing a radio station, and yeah, what happened was is that I felt like it again. I got my uh, sixth sense. I'm like something's going on. Something's not right about everything. I feel a bit weird. So I'm saying to Slim, stop going to the roof and go into the studio and all of this stuff. Let's just do the thing of, if we go to the roof, we leave, we don't go nowhere near the studio. If we go to the studio, we don't go anywhere directly, we keep everything, you don't connect. But he wouldn't listen. So I'm on this stealth now. I'm like ninjaing in and out of everything. Do you know what I mean? Go on the roof, I'm balaclavered up. I'm on the roof with a balaclava on. He's like, you've lost your mind. <laughs> I don't care. I'm like, I'm not getting caught. I'm going to be smart in this. So he's on there barefaced, doing whatever, putting up aerials, messing around. One day, I wake up, radio's on. Next thing, it goes off. They've taken off the roof. They've taken the studio and they've taken Slim's house all at once because he went from the roof to the studio to his house and they just done everything the trail, they yeah. had they had uh, cameras in bottle banks outside the studio like they done a big surveillance on us and they went to his house and raided his house and that was quite that was it was like a harsh thing for us because in his house he had all of the backup equipment so he had three stations worth of equipment sitting down for us then we was accumulating equipment and they took all of it Actually, when they kicked off his front door, he jumped over the back balcony and run off, but he had no shoes on. So he's running down the street barefoot, ringing me. <laughs> but then it's like, he had to go home because it's like, it's his ass. So he's run all the way around the block and come back around the front. <laughs> and then got nicked. <laughs> so anyway, they found everything. They found, we used to, we used to get the keys, things called girder keys. We used to, if Fire Brigade was fixing a lift, we'd creep in, we'd steal their keys. Like we'd do all of these kind of mad things to get the keys to get on the blocks. And they found everything. They found the keys, they found all of the equipment. And then they went into his car and they found the book what I'd left in his car the day before with everything in it written down, all the money that we'd made, everything. So they got every single thing. It's just like, fuck, do you know what I mean? So they took everything, he got nicked and they took the, ra the radio as a fair. But while, because I didn't get caught, while he was in the police station getting nicked, I got another transmitter and I got an iPod or something and I went and I sat back up and by the same night we was back on air. So yeah, you found three stations worth of stuff, you took all of our thing, you raided his house and everything, but while you've got him, we're back on air. Cause my thing was like, while they're saying he's the leader and everything runs by him, I'm like, we have to switch back on because it's like, well, how did it come back on if he's been arrested? Do you know what I mean? So we done that, we went back on air and then, it was backwards and forwards and then what happened was we had he, he had a court case and he went to court for it and he got found guilty of doing the pirate radio and all the way through we're, we're, we're on air now but then what happened was they give him a 500 pound fine and they give him an asbo he wasn't allowed above four or five floors in in tower amlets if he goes to the sixth floor he, he can go straight to jail they was on that with him so that was kind of a quite a harsh thing for him, but 500 quid to us was like, it's 500 quid. We've got 500 quid fine for all of that. Do you know what I mean? There's 500 quid, sweet, let's crack on with our life. It wasn't that simple though. I think Ofcom or DTI back then, or every, I can't remember what one of them it was. It's the same company anyway. They was fuming. So they took a transmitter off us that day and being our I am, I went and put one back in and they took one the next day, and then I put one back in, and they took one the next day. This went on for 13 days. 
I spent 13 days on the tower blocks, moving from all different tower blocks, tower block to tower block to tower block to tower block. And every time I said, I spend, and it's not a quick process. I'd go on the roof at 10 o'clock at night. I'd get off the roof at like five in the morning, six in the morning. I'd go home, I'd go to sleep. I'd wake up at 10 o'clock. It was off air. And I was like, and we got to our last transmitter and I, I'd done, back then it's like, we had a bit of money. We didn't have hundreds of grounds. We'd run out of money. So in, in the space of, them 13 days, I've done about six or seven grand on transmitters and we had one left and I was like, it's our last transmitter, we've got no more money. We've got no more backup equipment, that's it. I don't know what to do. I went and put the transmitter in and they didn't take the last one. I was like, can you believe it? It's like like the last transmitter, we put it in, they didn't take it and we, we managed to then stay on air for a month, charge enough subs to start buying the equipment again and then we managed to just get through it do you know what I mean? So there was that 14 days of like complete, we'd, it just seemed like we was off. And, and in them days- So this days, is in the grime sort of period, right? Yeah, 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 in yeah. between grime and dubstep, that kind of vibe. Yeah, so sure. in them days, from a pirate radio station point of view, pirate, uh, yeah, is that if you're off air for a few weeks, someone will take your frequency. This was like the most peak time where everyone wants a radio station and it is, everyone is trying to do anything to get someone off the dial. So if you're off for a few weeks, someone will take your spot and you'd have to go into some kind of war to get it back. And it's not a nice situation to have to be in. So we're breaking our neck to get back on the dial because we're in a vulnerable situation, even though in our area, we're the biggest thing and we control. So it's really like a, it's like, like what I was saying, it's quite a dark thing, but we control all of Bow. All the tower blocks in Bow belong to us. We say who comes in bow, who goes on a tower block, who can who can transmit, who can't. If we don't want you in there, then you can't be in there. Do you know what I mean? So, I was just going to ask, what steps are you going to have to take as like the dominant station if some like little upstarts do come in? Like, you know, is it a case like we've got to find these guys, we've got to tr get the transmitter? Like, we've had to do it. We've had to go on people's roofs. We've had to take their transmitters out. We've had to wait for them. We've gone through all of these processes. It's like a, uh, it just is how it is. And there's parts of rinse history that people are interested. In and it's like we had to do this to survive. It wasn't because we'd be bad people. It's like we're in this fighting now. Do you know what I mean? And and that, and, and and that's what it was with that. And uh, around that time, yeah, we was having a difficult time. You can't be off air for a weekend. We're off. For, we're off for a few weeks. Do you know what I mean? And it's like people on the road are talking. It's like rinse, rinses. We're fucked. Do you know what I mean? And it happened to a station previously called Rush FM. And they had done something where they had hit their transmitters in bricks and put CS gas in it and all of that stuff. And they got taken off air repeatedly and they ended up giving up. So I mean, so I'm like, we're in that stage now. Do you know what I mean? It's like, we might not make it out of this because they've got resources after resources. Do you know what I mean? And they went, I've put transmitters in places and there's no way anyone can get it out. They were smashing down walls of parts of buildings, like cutting open air vents. I'm just like, they was going completely in to get our stuff. And I'm like, there's nowhere on the building that I can go where they can't get to it. Like I was, there were stages where I was going down uh, vents head first with rope around my feet. They was lowering me down a few floors and I was jacking stuff in, coming back up, going down with another jack, jacking stuff up. And they were still getting it out. Like they was going to another level to get our stuff out. So you you got to think at that point it's sort of like gone beyond the original point almost of yeah, like what yeah, they're trying yeah. to do you know it's like yeah. become a weird it's become it's we're in a full on battle now Well yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah so we got back on air and 
what I done was because they was trying to find us all the way through all the way through all of this anyway. What I done was I went to the Apple store and bought fifteen iPod Minis, you know, little square yeah, ones. Yeah, sure. I bought loads of them. And what I done was I set them up on all different roofs. So I had iPods with all different shows on, all on all different roofs, transmitting to a place. And it's like, no matter where you track it, all you lend up at is an iPod. So they was going all over the place and taking all of this stuff, transmitters, tracking it, trying to find the studio. And then they're not putting an iPod, yeah, iPod, iPod. And I was losing iPods all over the place where they're trying to find our studio. But I'm like, I'm not putting a studio live again till we get through this situation. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, so, so, so it's like a holding sort of Yeah, one, I, did, I did make one mistake one day, whereas uh, one of the DJs on the radio, I put an iPod above their flat and I wired the link box and the iPod because you have to wire it to the electric. So I climbed up, I've done it all, I wired it to the electric. But the sod's law, the electric was the electric that powers his flat so when they try and find you in a block the way they do it is they turn off the electricity to each flat one by one so they know what flat you're in that's how they that's how they can get the warrant for the flat so they've turned off the electricity in his flat and our station's gone off but they've put it back on we don't know so they've gone to his flat and they've raided his flat but he hasn't got a rate he don't even know i've done this He's like completely oblivious to it. His door's gone off. They've gone in there. They've taken all of his records, all of his decks, but there's no studio in there. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, sorry, mate. We got all the stuff back for him. We got a lawyer and uh, we got them to give everything back because there's no radio in there and everything was above his flat. So that was cool. But yeah, it was a, it was a hard time because we're fighting with the authorities, but fighting to get on air because if we don't, we're going to lose our spot. And if someone switches on, it becomes a lot more difficult because, yeah, we will switch back on and we will get into an argument and we will probably get into some form of uh, violence. But it's like, we're trying not to do that. Do you know what I mean? We just want to be back on air to play music. So we went through the process. Like I say, we've done, we done the 13 transmitters. We've done the few weeks. And then we put last transmitter in and it was all right. And we managed to get out of it. Let's talk about dubstep for a moment. Why was it time for something new for you at that point? We'd done the dubstep move when the grind band was going on. It was like we'd started, it was all kind of around the same time. Dubstep for me was, it was an interesting thing. And I think up until that time, I had, I'd been suffering migraines really badly. I, I don't know why. I, I, at some stage around that, I, I was like 21 or something. Uh, I'd started getting migraines and it completely wiped me out. I was getting them like uh, four or five days a week. I was having brain scans, going through loads of different things where I was like passing out in places. I'll be talking to people and then they'll be talking and I can't understand what they're saying. And this, uh, I went through all of this stuff and it was like, it was like a really bad time for me. And I was in my house nearly all the time and it was Uncle Doug's and Sterling who was running the radio and we had put on the radio, uh, I think it was Code 9 was first and he had the forward show, it was called the forward show. So Sarah had forward because we all like new music. We're like, yeah, we'll put that, we put that show on and he would be bringing guests through. So he'd have Hatcher as a guest and Youngster as a guest and, and it was like that kind of vibe. And then it started spreading out. We started putting more and more of it on. So for me, around that time, it was uh, Sarah convinced me to come to Forward because I used to talk to her on the phone and she was like, come to Forward, get out of your house, come, do you know what I mean? And I went to Forward and I had a migraine. I'm not having it. Like, I'm going to go. I don't give a shit how I feel. I'm going to go. And I remember standing in the corner of plastic people, fucked with the worst migraine, listening to the loudest sound system, 
bass going through me and I'm like, I don't care. I'm just going to be, I'm just going to stand in the corner and ride it out. And I've done that and I went every week and it's like, we found our new path and then we was into let's create dubstep. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, that was the new focus. So I think with all of us is that when something new and interesting comes along, we get a focus on it and we push hard to make it work. And that was the thing that we was doing. So I still like jungle. It's something that we grew up in. I love garage. I love grime. And now I love dubstep. Do you know what I mean? But we don't get rid of any of it. It's like, well, we did when we got rid of the jungle, we just went all garage. Do you know what I mean? But when it comes back around, it's like we try to hold on to the genres that we're proud of and that we help create. So we made dubstep. We still had grime on the radio station and uh, some garage as well. Do you know what I mean? So now we've got dubstep and we're pushing forward with that and we're making forward bigger. And then me and Sarah, that's when me and Sarah start working together and then we form our relationship and then... Uh, yeah, go off on a next next journey. It sounds very much like you and Sarah like saw eye to eye on these things. You know, this like idea of like fresh, innovative, new music. You know, is is this the thing that brought you together and like eventually you know wound up with her being on the station? Yeah, Sarah. Sarah was someone that I met them, and it's like the, the stories like always get told is like I didn't actually like her in the first instance because she wouldn't when she was controlling the bingo stuff. She give Wiley the records and not me, and but I was a DJ and Wiley wasn't, but I would never ask anyone for anything. So I was like, they wouldn't give me the tunes. But then I met her and it's like, this person I get on with extremely well. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, straight away, it's like, uh, the way that we look at things was like music and that is like the same. It's like our passion, uh, the way that we are, talking about it from kids, it's like we both grew up going into school with tapes, trying to show everyone music that no one's interested in and play them tracks daily. Listen to this, listen to this. It's like we both had that same vibe, do you know what I mean? And she helped me with a lot of things, like I say, with the migraines and that. It's like she was the person who was there helping me get through it and taking time. But then we was on a musical journey together, do you know what I mean? So we started working in a small office together I had I had another company at the time as well that I run with a few of my friends and we had the label Dump Valve and, and, and things like that so but then I started working with Sarah and then we just got along well and it's like we just become like family and I just spent every day with her and we just went off on one and she believed in the radio so much she's the one who come to me and said the radio is massive and I was like yeah, yeah it's big but I'm thinking it's big in East London and a bit of North and a bit of South she's like no no it's big and I'm like really like do you know what I mean it's like and then we start looking into it and it's like there's people selling rinse tapes in Manchester in the markets and places like that do you know what I mean so it's like everywhere's got rinse tapes it rinses massive she's like we could take this to another level we can get a license so I'm like sure great sounds great like cool if you do it you can have half I'm like I'm easy do you know what I mean so this is like over the course of time, but then she went off on a mission to kind of get the license and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? But almost a five-year process, wasn't it? All together, it was. It, it was, was long. And I've, I, the thing is, is that the one thing I know is that when Sarah says we're going to do something, I can't have any doubt. Like it's not a thing that I can have. It's like she, she took me to Ofcom to meet them when we first spoke about getting the license, and I was scared to go there. I've been running from these people my whole life. They've been trying to catch us forever. She's making me walk into a building with them. I'll go into this building with her. We sit around a big ball table. There's the people to my left-hand side that have been chasing me around for years. I'm like, this is fucking mad. I'm like, I'm sitting with his geezer. I've been like, I've been shouting at him across the road. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Running off. So we're in there. We go through the process and uh, 
we have this open conversation with them. She's like, why should we be criminals? Why can't we come in here and be straight? We want a license. We're not doing anything wrong. We're doing music. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, she's right. It's, it's true. Do you know what I mean? We're breaking our neck for music here. I'm like risking my life all over the place for music, to show people music. It's like, I am doing it thinking about like, I, I want to achieve stuff and I have got drive, but it's like, what am I really doing it for? It's because I love the music. And when you see me climbing up a tower block, 27 stories up and that, it's like, I, I, it's dangerous. It's not a joke. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, what, what are you doing that for? And I'm like, what am I doing it for? It's like, oh, because I like the music. Do you know what I mean? So it's like an intense thing for us. So she wanted to get us out of this situation that we're in and she wanted to be able to, because there it was is that you have a pirate radio station, you can't do a, a party under your name because Ofcom will close the party down, take your fare because it's illegal. You can't do nothing that celebrates what you're doing. So she was like, we should be able to celebrate what we're doing. We're giving people careers, we're grafting, we're building British music and we're hiding like we're doing something bad. It's a liberty. So I'm like, it's right. So she went on that mission to prove the point. So it took five years, but she never gave up or never disbelieved once where everyone around was like, it's not going to work, sir. Just leave it. Everyone, everyone around us, everyone was like, look, you know what I mean? You had a good go at it. They're not doing it. And then that was it. She, she just wouldn't listen. She was like, she just kept going there and going there and going there and looking at everything and getting someone to help and getting MPs to help and like head police people to help. And it's just like, it was just like, you can't stop it. Do you know what I mean? And then one day she phoned me up and I was driving down the road and uh, she was like, yeah, we got a license. I'm like, I, I was like, I can't, I'm driving my car minding my own business and I'm like, I can't even breathe. It's like, we just got a license. Do you know what I mean? It's like, we've been doing this for years. I've been running around for years. She got a license. What did that sense of freedom feel like, you know, in the months afterwards? All the things that you're talking about, like, you know, from the community stuff to the you know to the parties eventually what becomes the mix cd and the record label like you know suppose at that point like the world's your oyster almost it felt mad the next few months was like we got given a license it's funny because you get given a license and what happens is is that it takes you get announced that you've been given a license and the license we went for was like a community radio station license but up until then, everyone kind of goes for like a very small radius. Everyone knows community radio stations only get out around the block. You, you serve your estate, do you know what I mean? Where we went for a license that served all the different areas of London and they was like, it's too much what you're asking for. We can fit three or four stations in here, in this space. And we was like, we think we're a community radio station for the whole of London. So we went on that one and then uh, it takes a few months before you get actually permission to switch on. So really, you're not, you're not allowed to apply for a license if you're a pirate radio and you're on air, but we're on air. So we're breaking the rules already. It's like, you're not meant to be on air while you apply for a license. That doesn't make any sense. But we got away with it. Next thing, we've been given a license, but we're still on air as a pirate, but we've been given a license. So I was just like, fuck it, man, let's just ride it out. <laughs> I, tried, I tried to keep the station on air. They come and took us off straight away. <laughs> it was like don't switch back on. It's like, don't switch back on. You can't do this. And it was like, I think some other, the bigger radio stations, when they heard we got a license, they was complaining. So it was like, all right, cool. So we had to chill out for a couple months and uh, not be on air. So we just get everything ready. Luckily around these times, I think we had done, started the streaming stuff and all of that. So we was on online streaming. It took us a minute to convince everyone that streaming was the future. And everyone would turn up and be like, it's not on the FM though, it's pointless. Now I'm like, 
trying to convince everyone that FM's good. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's the other way around. So with being granted the license, that like presumably puts you on some sort of path to like the situation that you now find yourselves. So like to think about, you know, the present situation, could you talk us through like what the rinse operation looks like at this point? You know, like where are the studios? How many of you are there? Like, you know, what what does it look like? Now it's it's, it's quite it's not a massive thing, but, you know, like we have a radio manager and he looks after a bunch of staff. We have producers and, and broadcast assistants and we have two studios. They're located in Brick Lane and, you know, it's quite structured. It's very organised. There's like Google Docs everywhere about how to run the station. There's like uh, guidelines, rules. It's completely run in a really strict way everything has to be on on point there's like to the point of like when the show ends and when the next one starts has to be bang on where it, it was never like that back in i mean originally it's always been like two or three people run the whole station now nah, i'd say there's a, probably a team of like 15 people that do the radio on a daily basis so it's a bigger operation but when we got the license we made a conscious decision not to change and not to change music policy, or not to run out and get loads of adverts. So you still listen there, and it's like you hear an advert now and again. Normally it's a rinse advert, it's our own one. But we've just never been like, let's go and get a load of advertising. Let's go and make a load of money out of the radio. Actually, the radio is the thing that's all... If I'd have saved up instead of spending all my money on radio, I'd probably be on a yacht somewhere. Do you know what I mean? It's like we'd do all the money on running the radio and that platform. Talk us through the current roster, you know, the, the DJs that you've got in the station. Like, you know, if you flick through the schedule these days, it's interesting, like, you know, you, you've ended up at a place where it kind of resembles like traditional radio in a way because you've got yeah. like your daytime programming, you know, you've got your breakfast yeah, show, yeah, you've got yeah. a drive time show and then you get into the more like specialist stuff in the evening. Like, yeah. have you arrived at this place and like, what's the sort of... I think what it is is that where we was trying to get a bit more professional without messing things up i become interested in presenters in general and uh i listen to every radio station like still now i listen to every radio station i'm always searching for another radio station to listen to i'm obsessed with like the radio platform but i think i become interested in presenters and then i wanted to do some daytime stuff and we had had we had scratcher doing the breakfast show at, at that kind of time so it was just a kind of natural progression after that and the way that it's gone is that I had the original conversation with Julie and was like, you should be a presenter. She was working in Apple. She wasn't a presenter. And then we just kind of had the conversation. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you can be a presenter. So we kind of like uh, just imagined it and then grew it and then developed it out of nothing to her being a presenter. But then Harry's kind of gone down the line is that I more look after the daytime radio stuff now, the presenters and stuff like that. And another part of the team, they would look after the specialist radio shows. So we kind of split up on who looks after what. I think it's because I had done the specialist stuff so much that I was like, hand it over to some other people. So Sarah and Rat would look at it quite a lot. And people go through different stages in Rinse. So it's the person who would have to cover all of the radio shows. So some people don't turn up before you'd have someone who's got a phone and all, their job is just to make sure that everyone's on air and if they're not, a show gets covered. So that person then becomes the person who's helping find the talent and choosing and stuff like that. So I think in our building now, we have the logistics side of it, then we have the creative side of it. And the creative side of it just choose all of the people that come on the radio, if it's on brand, and make sure that it's like right for us as a platform. 
Yeah, I see. You know, thinking about especially shows. You know, we've been talking a lot about these um, these big dominant trends in like you know London music. But it feels like we've got to a point where it's almost like post all of that. You know, you're not yeah, seeing I, like these things. I, I was saying it. I said it on a now and again. I say something on Twitter, and normally, and I'm just getting cost for like two days. Uh, so, but I can't help it. It's my opinion. The thing that I was saying on Twitter was that I'm not sure that there will be a new genre. And I got cussed for this because they everyone was firing genres at me all over the place. And I'm like, I've never even heard of these. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, but my experience is that in London, because apart from house, the genres that I'm talking about and what I know, and I'm only talking about stuff that's related to me. I don't know about some stuff. I don't know about every genre in the world. I'm on about stuff related to me and, and the things that we're in. But my experience is that we develop things like a seed and we grow it. And we've got a platform to grow it on and a community and a tight knit of people that build this. And it kind of builds outwards and friends become interested and someone else wants to do a, do it. And, and it, it kind of has this like uh, incubation period. And we go through all of that and it develops into a genre like all of them. We've had garage, jungle, uh, drum and bass, dubstep, funky Grime. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like I've watched it over and over and over again and now I'm sitting here like that whole thing that I've watched repeatedly might not happen again. Yeah. And I've tried to imagine how it could happen again but currently I can't because as soon as you do something now and, and especially in the, the days we're in now it's not just the thing of the internet because I did think about it for a while and think it's because of the internet but it's also because of the mainstream because the mainstream is so interested in what's new as well that things don't get time to grow so as soon as something comes along that's a bit interesting or a bit cool everyone jumps on it someone signs it someone signs everything to do with it and they try and get it in the chart and then what happens is it doesn't necessarily work and that's the end of that do you know what i mean so for me i just feel like uh, i don't know if there could be another genre to be honest i hope i'm wrong Funky was the last one really that yeah. I see where it's like this is a but the speed that it moved in and out of fashion was ridiculous compared to the others. Do you know what I mean? And uh, it's another genre that I cared about and participated in quite a lot. It was like we'd done the scene, we started making tunes, we had a few tunes that was blowing up. It was like great, we just got to keep on this path. And then we had a couple tunes that was cheesy that got signed that went into the chart, and then uh, the scene just crashed straight away. Do you know what I mean? So I'm like. It's a shame, but now I'm like, how are we going to grow another genre? You know, if you're talking about the conditions that, you know, give rise to these things, you know, you're talking about like being away from the glare of like, you know, the internet and the mainstream and all that. It's almost like a group of people, a community would have to, you know, exist physically and get together but like do it in secret almost yeah yeah which is like is that is that realistic i don't i don't know <sighs> yeah i don't know the thing is is that the world is a different place now and we're in we're in between stage so everything's a mess and no one knows how to grow anything uh, the internet is definitely a, an amazing thing but it's also a dangerous thing for everything it's it's a dangerous thing because I feel like in the world in general, our generation is a generation that is right on the corner of the change. And I know what it's like to not have a mobile phone and have to go to the phone box and not have an internet. And actually the radio is the internet for us. To find new music, we scroll through a dial where now we've just been given the whole world. 
Sure. Do you know what I mean? And it's too much. It, it will sort itself out, but we've gone through the problems of like being able to sell records to being able to stream them and make zero money now. Do you know what I mean? And being able to grow things in an area and just grow that out of an area naturally into as soon as one person makes a tune and someone thinks it's cool, someone tries to sign it and then it's just like dead straight away from an underground point of view. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Sure. So, Are we in a place now where like you just feel less connected or excited about it i mean is it has it been like a tough transition for someone who has like been at the forefront of so many like you know really really intense but really really amazing like you know sounds coming through you know is it is it going to take some getting used to for someone like you you know and maybe the internet erodes slightly the community aspect of it and everything's yeah, so I, spread out and i think so. the thing for me is that the one thing that i do feel about myself is that i'm able to adapt I've always been able to be with the times or ahead. Do you know what I mean? So I'm like, a, I never get stuck in the old days. I'm always like, if there's a new piece of technology, I want it right now. I've always been like that. Do you know what I mean? So I feel like at the minute, I'm not sure. Everyone's on the grime thing at the minute. Grime, brand new. It's like when they talk about it, I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's cool. I, I, I love it. It's part of me. Do you know what I mean? Something I created as well. But it's a fashion that I'm like, is this going to be one where the majors and the mainstream just be like in 18 months? Oh, yeah, that's not working now. What's next? Because we're going through phases quickly now. It's like you get an 18-month period where it's like house music. You get an 18-month period of where it's like dubstep music. An 18-month period now of grime music. It's like we're doing cycles in 18 months of what's good. Do you know what I mean? And crowds are changing their minds all over the place. It's like, yeah, 18 months ago, everyone was shuffling. Do you know what I mean? Now they're mosh pitting in a, in a grime rave. It's like the same person. <laughs> it's like, I just don't know how it's going to pan out, but it's something that we pay attention to a lot. And as a person, uh, me and Sarah and Rat and, and the rest of us, we watch it. It's our life. So we're not sitting there thinking we ain't going to make money or our business is fucked. It's like, this is just what we do. Sure. So we just do it. Whatever it is, we'll just do it. And hopefully, somehow, something's going to uh, reveal itself on how we can get a new genre. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I've been up and down in the tempos. We've gone from like 90 BPM up to 170 and back down again. So I'm like, I don't know where we're going with it now. What format can you show me that's different? Do you know what I mean? But... I think maybe it's just the thing of there ain't no genre and everything's just a big mix of everything and people have a wider taste and you just kind of pick your own, you create your own genre as a person. Do you know what I mean? It might, it's, it might be that. What I listen to when I listen to a bunch of music, I don't stay with one genre anymore. I, I jump all over the place. So maybe it's a, the genre thing is gone and it's just like we get into a stage of good music that you just collectively, that you put together yourself and you listen to on your own, do you know what I mean? And you create your own vibe. You know, thinking about radio more generally, it feels like, you know, on a, on a broader level, there's been a lot of focus on it as a format and, you know, you've had some, like, really big players coming into it, you know, like Apple and, you know, like Red Bull's about to launch a thing and, you know, Spotify's, you know, eventually getting into the game. Like, are these things, like, on your radar, are they like concerns to you? Does it even affect what you do? No, I don't feel concerned by anything. But I'm like, we do our own thing. The difference between us and everyone else is that we create shit. We don't report on other people's thing. We make shit. So it's like, you can report on whatever you like, but I guarantee you will be making it. So I, I, I'm cool. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I'm used to the thing now of like, uh, in the old days, I'll be like, we make something, someone else takes it, someone takes a DJ and I'll be like fuming. Now I'm just like, this is just B 
because of what we choose to do. We don't choose to sit and look at what everyone else is doing and get involved. We choose to make it. So I'm not saying me personally, I'll make everything, but there might be a kid that makes something interesting and we'll back that and we'll try and help grow it. Do you know what I mean? So that's that's the previous models, what we've had anyway. So when other people, big players come in and they start having radio stations and all of that, it's like, it's good because I like the radio platform. I listen to every station. Um, I don't have a negative judgment on any of them. Uh, I think I like radio. Anyone who's doing radio, I'm like, I'm backing it. Do you know what I mean? So, but it's not an easy thing. And it's like a marriage. You can't just do it in a week. It's like a lifelong commitment to do it good. Do you know what I mean? I'm still struggling to do it. I've been doing it 22 years now. Do you know what I mean? So I think let everyone have do what they're doing. What I do know is in my lifetime, in 22 years of doing radio, I've seen hundreds of stations, DJs, producers, people that say they're going to do this, people that say they're going to be the biggest thing come and go and come and go and come and go. And I think, do you know what we do? We just keep cracking on. Do you know what I mean? And we'll just keep cracking on. And hopefully when I get to 70 years old or something, it's like there's still a rinse and I'm still going to the office because what I like most is going to the office and seeing people that are around us that are like, they wasn't sure what they was doing in life, but they work at rinse. That's what it is. And we're all just there. We're all a bit like we didn't really fit in anywhere vibes. But we're in a, and we've got a platform and we managed to make enough money for us all to get paid and live. That's it. Do you know what I mean? So, so long as that continues, whether, I don't know, the, the government could start a radio, well, they own a radio station, but do you know what I mean? Anyone could start a radio station. I don't care. It's like, they can't be like us. You can't, you can't create what we have. You can't force it. It's not possible. Do you know what I mean? All right, so just just kind of finishing up, like it seems like a big sort of milestone, if you like, coming into view for you guys is the the festival hookup that you have. Yeah, it's in a couple of months. So, yeah. does this feel just like generally like a natural extension of you know what you guys are already doing? I think yeah, for me it was a. Uh, I feel like we're a little bit late to the table with the festival stuff, but we try and do so many things. It's hard to do everything early on, but. I was looking at it for a while and I said to say, I really want to do a festival. I really want to do something where it's like, because the rave scene is like a, a, a difficult one at the minute, but I, I want to do festivals because I go to a lot of, I have to go to all the festivals. I'm like, sometimes it's pretty boring. Do you know what I mean? It's like an artist comes on, they perform for half hour, everything shuts down. You wait half hour for another artist. And I'm like, why can't we just have a rave in the park? Do you know what I mean? So we set out to do that kind of vibe and um, that's what I wanted to do. And for me, having it in Haggerston Park was really important. So there was a few different places we could have done it, but I met with uh, the people that were doing it, Fanlot, and they was like, yeah, we can do it together. Funny enough, I went looking for them as they come looking for us. So it's like definitely great. Do you know what I mean? So we went through uh, a couple conversations. It's like, this is a no brainer. I really want to do rinse in a park and let people come and have the rave experience in a daytime festival environment. So let's program it like a rave. We just have DJs and MCs and we have a few performances. Yeah, of course, because it's part of the festival uh, structure, but it's more like we're going to have a great party in the park vibe. Do you know what I mean? And I think it brings a lot of people together in one place that can experience a lot of different musics and being in the center of like kind of East London for me is a, is an important thing. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, I feel like we're at home doing stuff that we wanted to do and what other people are doing, but we're doing it in our own way. For those who aren't aware of the festival, like the whole kind of like aim or spirit of it is like championing, like, you know, 
local like UK talent, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's mainly based on UK. I mean, you can see there's a couple of uh, people on the lineup from America, actually headliners, and get asked the question of why are they American headliners when I'm so pro these different genres that we've been speaking about and talking about um, how can I do this? But it's like, it's just not that easy. We started the festival and I had 100% intention of just having UK and acts that we care about but then you get into the thing of trying to book them and it's lots like well this artist is doing great now so we want 40 grand and it's like well it's it's not a festival that holds 40,000 people do you know what I mean we got a party in the park it's like yeah there'll be about 15,000 people or whatever it is do you know what I mean but we can't afford to pay this money. There just ain't the budget for it. We're trying to do something a bit more interesting. Can you see that? But it's a difficult one because agents, their job is to go and get the big shows and the big money. That's what is required of them. But that means that you can't play at any other shows. So we can't get the lineup uh, that we wanted. And we actually come to the table late in trying to get the lineup. So some of the artists has gone. But it's a difficult thing to go through. It's like it, it wasn't our intention to have people on the lineup that ain't from exactly what we're from but at the same time the music that we have picked is relevant to the same audience it is not like we've done we haven't booked Adele on our festival just because she's going to bring 40,000 people <laughs> do you know what I mean it's like we book people, people you play on the station yeah, as yeah, well, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's relevant and, and I feel like yeah I do champion British music and I do believe in this a lot because it's where I'm from and you know like like, I'm from London. It's like I'm from Randy. Actually, these days, at Christmas, someone says to me, uh, where are you going home for Christmas? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going back to Bow. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, not many people say that now. Stops on the bus, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, I'm from here. I care about here. I grow here. I build here. It's what I belong in. It's what I know. But at the same time, the world is becoming local. And what works somewhere else in an underground, that is a non-commercial thing, works here as well. It does fit in. That's what I think. So this is what I've told myself to make myself feel all right about it. So I've got a good thing to say to people. Do you know what I mean? Cool. Yep. Like, thanks so much. The most of what I got Empty shows to studios To clubs to pirate radio Cues to raise the bar The crowd just to hear the music loud Feel it penetrate my soul Feel it taking all control In love with life I try and say I promise that I made today No matter how the others way No, I'll always be okay Locked away within my hive I will never cease to strive Make the good shit golden sweet Make them hear it from the street Every day I wake up Knowing that I have to try Try create the life I want Try be kind and confident Life is full of people who care about the things they do I need dreamers, thinkers, freaks Stick around when shit gets peaked When shit gets real and hits the fan All I have is who I am All I have is London streets All I have is grinds and beats All the rest I cannot feel All the rest of me ain't real Shallow world we live in now Watch me try and work it out At least I have these songs to sing They might not seem like anything But to me they are my truth Lessons learned throughout my youth Fables on why labels flow When my spirits sit down low And when my days go free and fast I pray for all those times to last So I can keep them in my songs Stories of my rights, my wrongs
say a 